the most magnificent truth of Christmas, quite likely the single most magnificent truth in all of human history, is found in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe you think that I am the epitome of hyperbole when I say that this is the single most magnificent truth in all of human history, but I would argue that nothing comes close to this. I would argue that any other truth, even the truth of gravity and 2 plus 2 equaling 5, I mean 4, public school education in the middle of Kansas, those things pale in comparison to the truth that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, we become almost numb to it, don't we? And yet, we become almost blasé about it. This is something that we must never do because of the glorious truth of the Incarnation. We must never become blasé about it. We must never allow ourselves to be numbed to it because it truly is the hinge of all time in history. Everything builds up to it and everything after it points back towards it. Everything built toward the Incarnation and everything after is illuminated by it. This is what C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle in his little book on miracles. And as we look at John chapter 1, 1 through 18 this morning, we reflect upon this truth that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We reflect upon the miracle of the Incarnation. And we do so by asking three basic questions. What is the Incarnation? Why did the Incarnation occur? And what difference does the Incarnation make? Now, of course, I've already sort of spilled the beans by telling you that the Incarnation is the most magnificent truth of Christmas and quite likely the single most magnificent truth in all human history. Clearly, I'm going to tell you that it makes all the difference in the world. That doesn't allow you to ignore me in the last third of the sermon. So first, what is the Incarnation? When we use the term Incarnation, what do we mean? We try to mean exactly what John seems to have meant when under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Incarnation is the enfleshing of the eternal and divine Word of God. The Incarnation is when the eternal and divine Word of God, whom John also refers to as the agent of creation, whom John also refers to as the giver of life, moved into that which he had made, moved into creation. That which, uh, or the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, John begins his whole gospel by saying, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The second person of the Trinity in this passage referred to as the Word, the true light, and the Son was present within the fullness of the Godhead before the acts of creation and was and is fully divine. This is the one who became flesh. Uncreated, the Word is the agent of creation, as St. John writes. Nothing was made apart from Him. He is the possessor and the giver of life. This is the one who became 
flesh. This glorious, timeless, holy, and divine person entered into his creation by taking upon himself flesh, the meat of humanity. And so when we talk about the incarnation, when we discuss the the person and the being of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, we must keep two equal truths squarely in our minds. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That's the incarnation. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And yes, we must confess that these seem like they could be two contradictory truths. But in the person of Jesus the Christ, they absolutely are not. You think again about the the phrases from the Nicene Creed, that church document that was created for the express purpose of clarifying what orthodox biblical Christianity believes about Jesus. In it, we say, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And so to give to Jesus anything less than full divinity, as many have and as many continue to do, to give to Jesus anything less than full divinity is to breach Orthodox Christian faith, to go beyond the scope of Scripture, to say something about Jesus that Scripture does not. And the opposite must also be said. To give Jesus anything less than full humanity is also a breach of Orthodox Christian faith to go beyond what Scripture has revealed. As we see time and time and time again in Scripture, Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Word of God, the Eternal Son, enfleshed with the meat of humanity upon Him. He took upon Himself a real human nature, as R.C. Sproul would put it, yet without the sinful nature of humanity. God in flesh. It's so important for us to get a hold of, the, of this as best we can. I recognize that uh, it's difficult sometimes to get a hold of this. Uh, the glory of the truth perhaps can overwhelm us. It's just too complicated to think about. But we can understand that in the person of Jesus, there resides the fullness of God and the fullness of man. And that is the center of Christian faith. The incarnation, I would submit to you, the incarnation is the hinge of all Christian faith. In his work entitled Miracles, C.S. Lewis comments that the incarnation illuminates and integrates everything when he wrote this. We believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun, in fact we cannot, but because we can see everything else. It is the incarnation that helps us to see everything else. And without this magnificent truth of the incarnation, without this grand miracle, I would say the story of Christianity is absolutely meaningless. What difference does it make if a child was born and placed in a manger if that child is not the incarnation of the eternal word? What difference does it make if 30-some years later that child, now grown into a man, is crucified upon a cross, if that child, that man, is not the incarnation of the eternal word? It's meaningless because without the incarnation, Jesus could not have done what he claimed to do. Without the incarnation, Jesus would not be who he claimed to be. Without the incarnation, Jesus would not have revealed God and done the work to make children of God. 
So what is the incarnation? The incarnation is the second person of the Trinity, the Word, as John calls him, the Son, as John calls him, in meated, enfleshed, with the meat of humanity upon him, fully God and fully man. But why? Why would this happen? Why would this happen? There's one simple reason why the Word became flesh. God loves the world. God help him. God loves the world. We've had two back-to-back years that have been absolute dumpster fires in 2016 and 2017, and yet God loves the world. And let's not, let's not be too harsh on ourselves or too self-centered. There are other years throughout the course of humanity in which there have been dumpster fires, and God still loves the world. In just a few chapters of St. John's Gospel, we read, For God so loved the world that he what? Kicked back and put his arms up? Crossed his arms and watched football? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Out of his love for the world and in the loving action of self-giving, God gave the son. The son became flesh. Why did the son, why did the word become flesh? Because God loves the world. And from this love, God, uh, from this love of God flows two aspects of the work of the incarnate son. The revealing of God and the making of children of God. If the word had not become flesh, we would be lost in darkness. Darkness of ignorance. The word of God became flesh. St. John writes, he dwelt among us. Literally, this phrase, dwelt among us, is, is more like he tabernacled or he pitched his tent In language that is absolutely intentional, we're reminded of God's tabernacle from the Old Testament, His tent among the people of Israel. There in the tabernacle, God dwelt among His people. He met with His people. He revealed something of Himself to His people. Here in the incarnation, the full glory of God once again dwells among His people in a more intimate, in a more immediate, and in a personal way. The Word moved into the neighborhood and set up camp to reveal God, to make God known. God is not some far-removed cosmic slumlord who just wants to collect rent and never fix the hot water heater. In the incarnation, He is an ever-present Savior who is in the middle and in the mess to reveal God, to make children of God. Listen again to what St. John writes in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, semicolon. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, the incarnation of the eternal word, is the supreme revelation of God. You may recall that this past Christmas Eve, we heard from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The incarnation occurred so that God could and would be supremely revealed. And this glorious truth of the incarnation changes everything. If you want to know God, you must know the word, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And as a side note, 
I would submit to you that any time someone makes a, 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 a claim that all religions are the same or all religions reveal the same God, I would have you ask that individual, what does that religion X say about Jesus? Christianity claims because Scripture claims that, that, that Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. And if any, if any religion says otherwise, then you have two equal and opposite truths. They cannot both be true. There's a law of non-contradiction, a law of mutual exclusion. If we want to know God, we must know the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is the light of the world. It is Jesus who drives out of our minds the darkness of ignorance about God. It is Jesus who reveals the Father. And closely connected to this idea of knowing God through Jesus, so closely connected that I hesitate to divide it, is the idea that through Jesus, God makes his children. It is true that some reject Jesus and the life that he has to offer, but we read in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it is. The incarnation of the Word reveals God, and through the Word, sinful humans can have new birth, can become children of God by the act of God. Ultimately, we understand the Word became flesh at great cost to Himself to rescue sinners from darkness, to live a life of perfect obedience to the Father, a life of perfect uh, righteousness on our behalf. Ultimately, recognize that the Word became flesh, died as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute in our place, an atonement for our sins, was raised from the dead so that we too might vicariously through Him live. As God did credits His righteousness to our account, as God cleanses our sins in His blood, we are made children of God, not because we've earned it, not because we've merited it, not because we've been good enough, not because we deserve it, but because we have received Him, believed in His name, because we have trusted in that which he is. As St. Paul so adamantly repeats in the entirety of the epistle to the Galatians, in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Why would the eternal word leave the side of the Father to be enfleshed, to come and make his dwelling amongst us in the middle of this mess? Because God loves the world and wants himself to be known. And he wants to make children through Jesus. Have you ever heard of uh, a Polish man by the name of Witold Pilecki? I apologize because I know that I have absolutely butchered his name. Um, and I will tell you that having now heard of Witold Pilecki, I am ashamed to say that I'd never heard of him before. Witold Pilecki was a Polish army captain who in September of 1940 snuck into Auschwitz. Just think about that just for a second. He snuck into Auschwitz in September of 1940. He was a committed Roman Catholic. He knew what was happening in the camps, and he simply could do no he couldn't do nothing while so many were herded into the camp like cattle and butchered. And so Pilecki, a husband and father of two, forged for himself a false identity allowed himself to be arrest, arrested under that false identity, and was imprisoned in Auschwitz. While there, Pilecki organized Jewish prisoners into resistance units. 
He boosted morale. He documented war crimes. He even helped to organize a secret radio station using scrap parts and smuggled intelligence information out of the camp into the hands of Allied forces when he escaped in 1943. He spent almost three full years living under an assumed name in the middle of absolute depravity and evil in Auschwitz. Why? To save lives. This story strikes me, I don't know about you, but it strikes me as a shadow of the magnificent truth of the Incarnation. Pilecki took upon himself a great cost to himself, went into a place of evil to save lives. And at great cost to himself, the word of God entered into his creation. He faced the darkness to rescue sinners from the darkness of sin and evil to illuminate our minds that we might know God. But what difference does it all make? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. First, and perhaps it's redundant to say this without boring you, but I will take that risk. Without the incarnation of the eternal word in Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Without the incarnation, if Jesus was just a guy, then he would not have been the perfect sacrifice with righteousness to impute to those who believe. He would not have life or light to give to those who believe in his name. Faith in the incarnate word Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, and any other claim to offer life and salvation without the incarnation is a lie out of the pit of hell. And so the incarnation changes everything. Made into children of God by the act of God, believers in Jesus' name are caught up into the life of God and are drafted to participate in the rescue plan. As people and as individuals, we are called into the mission of God, the God who sends, the God who sent the Son to be made flesh and to dwell among us, who came into the middle and into the mix and into the mess. And in this, the incarnation becomes the model for us. Just as Jesus makes God present to the world, so those who believe in Jesus' name are called to make God present in the world. Clearly, we will never be divine as Jesus is divine, but on account of the enduring presence of the Holy Spirit, we can and are used by God to reveal Him and offer salvation to many in the name of Jesus. Author David Fitch has written, God's plan is to become present to the world in and through a people and then to invite the world to join with them. The church has a job to do, to point toward Jesus, the incarnate word who reveals God and makes people children of God. The universal church is made up of local churches, and local churches are called to be present in a place of enduring residence, actively loving those of that place with gospel words and with gospel action. The word moved in. He took up residence. The word pitched his tent in the middle and in the mess for the purpose of making children of God as he revealed God. The great reformer Martin Luther once preached, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Now, if the Lord does that here, so ought we to despise no one, but put ourselves right in the middle of the fight for sinners and help them. Why? Why? Because that's what Jesus did, and that's what Jesus 
does because that's incarnational. In the past year, the elders, vestry, and rector of Emmanuel Church have discerned the vision that God is calling us to be a church that glorifies Him by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and join us in building His kingdom. I believe this requires an incarnational mindset, the mindset of moving in, the mindset of being intentionally present to and with the people of our communities with an enduring residence and actively loving them with gospel words and gospel action. It's the incarnation is the reason why we've begun to talk about the neighborhoods that surround our property. Because yes, the, a church is not, not the same as a building or as a property, but we have been uniquely called and planted to this 9.6 acres surrounded by an airport and three residential neighborhoods. Talk about an opportunity to have an enduring presence with the residents around us. Why have we begun to talk and pray for these neighborhoods? Because this is where we are. This is why we've begun the Jeremiah 29-7 initiatives. This is why we've begun to pack backpacks with food for thought. This is why we went to Rhonda Coon over in Fort Walton Beach to be with and pray with homeless ladies. This is why in coming months we're going to paint a fence for the city of Destin because we are resident here. And the incarnation calls us to take up residence and to love those around us. This is why we've called Father Ethan. This is why we've given him the task to figure out and help us grow and develop as evangelistic outreach churches so that we can love with gospel words those who are around us so that we might have an enduring residence proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, speaking truth and loving people because it's incarnational. This is why we will continue to seek ways to preach the gospel, to speak truth, to love people from the middle and in the mess because that's where Jesus is. And thank the Lord that when the incarnation occurred, it didn't occur in high and lofty palaces because I would never get there. And neither would any of us. But thank the Lord that when the incarnation occurred, it occurs in the middle and in the mess among the normal people with everyday lives, with everyday sins. Thank the Lord that when he came, he came and he got mud on his hands. And so here we will be in the middle and in the mess with the purpose of being used by God so that others may believe in the name of Jesus and be made children of God. The eternal word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this changes everything. As the sun sets on the year 2017 and as dawn breaks on 2018, may we in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the grace of God press forward in an incarnational mindset, proclaiming the gospel, speaking truth and loving people, so that through us, men, women, and children, may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and join us in building His kingdom all for His glory. I said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.